I feel as an entrepreneur, there probably comes a decision where, okay, like I'm going to invest everything in what I'm doing, right? So my investment is in myself, my business, and my ability to create a company that will generate wealth. And I think that's really legitimate. Warren Buffett has a phrase of, hey, imagine you only have 20 chips in your whole life and there are 20 decisions you can make, right? And his idea is don't make lots of small decisions, make some big decisions, some big investments and back yourself. And it, for some entrepreneurs, that's the thing. I'm all out. I'm all in. Even if I lose everything, I'll be okay. Because then if I win, I gain everything. Yeah, the flip side is for some entrepreneurs who are like, hey, this may not work out. I'm not all in with it. Yeah. And I think in that case, the development of a passive income will be a wonderful cushion for you, right? In case things go wrong, the market turns away, yeah. you can't control it. And so I yeah. think getting good at investing will give you longevity and confidence in your entrepreneurship, that it is not yeah. all about making this company successful, that you've got the safety cushion. So. I think it is a valuable corollary to the folks out there. Welcome to Super Entrepreneurs Podcast. Today we have with us John Foon. John has over 20 years of experience investing in real estate, primarily in the U.S. Silicon Valley residential and commercial property on the East Coast South and Australia. John, that's incredible. Welcome <laughs> to the show. Thanks, Shahid. It's a pleasure to be on. Thanks for having me. No, it's my pleasure. So tell us more. How did you get into this real estate investing? Yeah. So actually, the interesting thing is, I've been a real estate investor my whole life, and currently I work in real estate. My, my job right now is I'm the chief revenue officer at Domain, which is one of the leading portals in the Southern Hemisphere for property. I started off as a real estate investor 25 years ago, and now it's a full-time job for me to be in real estate. So it's, it's come full circle. Oh, that's wonderful. So but can yeah, you share with us what a yeah. day looks like in John's world, investing in properties? <laughs> for me, investing is what I do on the side. It all started for me, I guess. 25 years ago when I got my first job when I was in college and my granny, who I grew up with, said, Hey John, now you got a paycheck. You got to put your down deposit, your down payment on the first house. I said, what? I was thinking of spending this on other stuff. And what she said is, no, this is how you build wealth for you. Just take a portion of what you got and let's put a deposit, let's start to pay it off. And so I bought a, a small apartment near the universities in Sydney, about $60,000 at the time. It's now worth a lot more than that, you know, and that- You still have it? No, no. Unfortunately, I sold it for grad school a long time ago. Yeah. It was, it was, it was just the start of understanding how, Hey, when you get a down payment, you get a deposit, you put down a, on a house, you just pay it down. And then if that increases in value or your equity expands, then you can use that to buy another one. So that's something which I guess has become a family business for me and my wife over the last 20, 25 years. Well, that's wonderful. But like, how do you scout? How do you find the properties to invest in yourself? Do you actually spend your day looking for deals? Property investing really depends on what phase of life you're in. So actually right now, we lived in America. That's where my wife, I was working in Silicon Valley, and now we've moved back to Australia. We were looking the last year for properties, but actually we're looking for a primary residence for a place to, to stay. And so for that, uh, including the company I work for, a domain, which is a, an app, a, a real estate portal, yeah, we, once we define our area, our parameter, just every property that comes up, it's like, okay, what is it? Does it meet a criteria? And someone to go visit. Then we're lucky to have a buyer's agent to help us with that. So in that phase of life where the primary investment 
need for us was to actually buy property for us to live in Australia. That is what our needs were. And yeah, we're every day with the alerts. So it's bang, it comes up. Okay, something comes in. I'm going to see the open house on the weekend. Back then, when both when I was first investing 20, 25 years ago, and then when I went through different phases. So I ended up buying about 10, 15 properties when I first started investing. That was me and my dad just looking at the real estate magazine at the time and defining our criteria, our sweet spot. Our sweet spot for us, three bedroom houses, about 30 minutes from Australian capital city where it would be what's called as rental income or it'd be net income positive, which means that the interest you pay is less than the rent you're getting. And that was our playbook. We'd do that, the investor would pay for itself and if there was capital gains, that was on top of that. And then you'd multiply. So that was what we're doing then at that phase. But then there came a period of spending that money. I mentioned I went to grad school. That's how I first got to the States. Real estate helped pay for that. But then there was another phase after grad school where I'm back to earning income again. And that's when I'm acquiring, and this time you mentioned the start, the commercial real estate. And I'd made some friends in grad school who were real estate investors. That was a different kind of thing. We're looking for hotels to buy or fast food restaurants or things like that in a syndicated manner. So the trick out investing is you try and understand what you need, where your interests are, both professionally and personally. The intersection of those is what makes good investing for that stage in time for you. Very good. And John, do you help others with your experience now? Do you have some kind of a coaching program or anything like that? No, a lot of my job now, my, my full-time job is I run a large sales team. So we have a team of a few hundred within domain and a few hundred within some of our, our subsidiaries like, like Realbase. Uh, and we are trying to help Australia and New Zealand's property industry by making sure that when people are looking for property, they can do it confidently because they know they're getting high quality matches and high quality alerts. So I guess I'm trying to help the industry in that way. And that's the business where I'm one of the leaders at. In terms of my own investing journey, obviously there's, I'm not in a position really to be formally mentoring people right now, young family, a lot of work. It's not something I'm spending a lot of time thinking about, but certainly with my friends, people at the same, same life stage, we will always talk about property. I know a lot of your listeners are not from Australia, but there's a saying that in, in Australia, property is Australia's favorite pastime. We're always talking about property. You look at real estate agents, they're everywhere. The amount of money we spend on property, the amount of time is more than any other place per capita. It's an amazing place to be. Yeah. It's interesting you said that because there was a period where we hit, I believe, top 10 or top, I can't remember now. Was it top yeah, yeah. 10? Top 10, I believe, in New Zealand. But oh, don't, really? don't, yeah, don't quote me on that. I have to find out exactly. I don't know if it's top 10 or top 50, but it was, a, it was like, whoa, like I was happy to see that. So I'm pretty sure it's around top 10 New Zealand. And I'll say, wow, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I that's didn't know I had, I had fads there. Let's kick ass. New Zealand is a wonderful country. It's a big Australian rival. There's, they've got a wonderful lifestyle. And it's a few million very well-educated and picky people. So we're going to make in the top 10. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I'm not sure what I am right now, but at that <laughs> point, about, about a year ago, a year, a little bit over a year ago, I believe, or under a year ago around that time. When it comes to you providing a service like for with domain basically you help people invest in properties so what you are basically what you do what you work with the clients yeah. that you work with are type of people that are investors that come to you and say hey you know what i want to get into investing what do you have for me and this is how much funds i have available and then you help them find or scout properties at all? I'm just no. trying to understand what you guys do exactly. Sure. No, it's not that sophisticated. It is not that investing sophisticated. Maybe it will one day. Think of us as like a, as a red fin or a zilla, right? So if you're looking for a house, whether you're buying, whether you're investing, whether you're renting, you might have an app 
like uh, like Redfin or Zillow and Domain is a similar kind of app for Australia. Or you might go to a website like realtor.com, domain.com.au is another website. And you'll say, hey, show me all the properties in the suburb. You'll put in a bunch of search criteria. And then that is where, that is how people use us. They find properties to buy. And we are primarily, who pays for our service is the person who is selling their house or trying to rent their house out. And the person who brokers that transaction is the real estate agent, the selling agent, you might say. So that's what we do. And yeah, investors do use us. I used it, used Domain when I was an investor, but primarily actually the most popular group where people look for a house to live in, owner occupies. That's our primary constituency. Very good. Very good. What do you see the future for investing in that region? Because they're talking about the global recession. Is that going to impact that region? Yeah, we've already seen pretty large impacts similar to America in Australia. And obviously with interest rates going up all around the world, Australia has not been immune to that as at all. And there was a very clear correlation between when interest rates go up, house prices go down. And when house prices go down, the number of people who want to sell and the number of people who want to buy goes down, right? So there is that relationship. Even selling goes down. Selling definitely goes down. About 70% of sales will always happen. Someone's getting born, someone's dying, there's an emptiness, there's a divorce. Like These are reasons why you have to sell. Like us, we bought a house because we moved from America to Australia. Oh, could we have deferred? We could have, but personally, it was the right thing for us. There's mm. about 30% of the market, which is discretionary. You don't have to buy, you don't have to sell, right? Because you could just wait it out. And so typically when house prices go up, you see everyone who could sell comes to the market, right? Because they go, wow, look, I made so much money. I'm going to cash out now while it's good. But when interest, when interest rates go up and house prices go down, you see people withdraw from the market and go, oh, geez, I'm not sure if I, if I want to sell now, I'll hold off if I can until the price recovers to where it used to be. And us as a business and as an industry, it's a very difficult time because of the inflationary environment that has driven high interest rates. Yeah. I was just thinking about the sales side of things. If there's a distress, right? If they can't make their payments because of the interest rate or whatnot. I was just thinking maybe they would have more of those power of sales or that's right. know, the bad stuff, the negative stuff, but the investors will be going and, and picking that's up right. those properties. So what do you yeah. think it is going to look like in your professional opinion, in the next two years or so for investors coming into the market, yeah. what, any tips that you can share with them, what sh- they should be doing? Yeah, it's a great question to hear. And what you're describing is that what happened between 2009 and 2012. Right after the global financial crisis, there were a lot of people distressed came to the market. And if inv- the investors who got in there made a killing, right? They saw their properties double, triple over the next five to 10 years. Things are a little different now, I would say for two reasons. Okay. In a lot of Western countries, in particular, America and Australia, they introduce a lot of, I guess you'd call them stress tests, but basically make it very difficult for yes. banks to, to give out distress. Yes. And as a result, even when interest rate payments go up a long way, the majority of people can still afford it now. And they're not having their house foreclosed upon, which was a much bigger deal 10, 15 years ago. So this is a good thing, right, for society. But it does mean that if you're an investor, probably there aren't as many bargains as there used to be. So that's kind of like number one. Number two, things are, good point. in one sense, bad now. Like inflation is an all-time high, though in the US it's come down for six straight months. From an unemployment rate, things are actually still very low. The unemployment rate is 3.5%. It's still very low. And you think about what other things that causes distress deals, even if your mortgage payment goes up a long way, you, that 
that does not necessarily mean you will have to sell the house. Because number one, a lot of people have savings that they made over the past 10, 15 years of prosperity. Number one. Yes. Number two, if you still have a job and you call up the bank and say, hey, I just can't make my interest payments. Can you give me a break? Most banks will find that more attractive than saying, you know, we're going to foreclose your house because that's very costly for them. It's not a fun process for anyone. And so you'll find, I think, you'll only get a lot of really good deals if unemployment goes up a long way, because that's when people don't have a job and their mortgage payments have gone up, then they're in real financial distress, then they have to sell. I think you've seen very few of those cases so far, because still in America, there's 1.7 jobs for every person who's unemployed. So if you really had to get a job and make your mortgage payment, mostly you still can now. And that was not the case 15 years ago. Very good. So is there not very good? There's some bad in there as well, but it's great information. What do you find that the best market would be in the next two years in your professional opinion? Which area, which region? So I think it depends what you are best market, but in terms of, for those of you, and obviously there's a lot of entrepreneurs and investors listening to this podcast. Typically as an investor, I am looking for something that will outperform the market over the course of a reasonable period of time. And I think in property, a good rule is to try and expect to hold for at least five years. Because you buy this year, maybe it goes up, maybe it goes down. You just have no idea. But if you take almost any five-year period over the past 100 years, house prices have gone up by an average of 25 to 30% of the five-year period. And very few times it's gone down in the five years. Over 10 years, it's hard to find any 10-year period where if you bought and then you sold in 10 years' time, that you would have sold for less than what you bought. And typically you'll get five to 7% compounded annual returns in any 10 year period that you choose. So it should double within 10 years, whatever property you buy. So I think that's a baseline. And I think that's a great reason to invest in property because it is, you just get these very predictable turns over time. And if you can leverage that and pay off that leverage by the rental payments you get in, then instead of making 7% each year, you might be making 14%, 21%, 28% to be what you leverage. So that, but that is baseline. That's baseline. I think the question to you is, okay, how can I outperform that baseline? How can I get better than a 7% average return? And I think there's no amazing way to predict the market. There just isn't, but just some general facts. Generally over time, houses will appreciate better than apartments. Generally over time. Historically, apartments go up by 4 to 5%. Houses go up by 6 to 7% over, again, the course of a 10, 20 year period. And the reason for that fundamentally has got to is scarcity. It's very hard to build new houses in places like Australia and America. It is maybe on the edges of the cities, but in the places where people want to be, you just can't build because there are pretty restrictive laws. There's not in my backyard. That's how it is, right? And so typically what I look for in investment is something that is scarce. It's something where they can't build any more houses in that area. And so as long as it's a good area, like it's got a university or a city or things like that, over time, you should see it outperform the market. It's not like another place where they can put another apartment block next door to, or build more houses. But if it's landlocked and it's full, then that's the way that you create investments which have exponential value. And in this market, if you can find those, because in a hot market, they're very expensive to buy. But in a down market, they're still not cheap, but they're not expensive. That's when you can really cash in. That's what I'd be, that's what I'd be encouraging. Yeah, that's amazing. And then also, when even if for an investor, when they're going to buy property of that, that type in that area, they also have to go through the stress test. They also have to go through those loops. Yeah. And that's why for me, we were saying at Domain, which is it's not timing the market, it's time in market. Or put differently, you will not be able to borrow a ton of money. You not as much as you used to be. And so depending on how much your income is, depending on other investments you have, 
that will determine how much you can borrow and therefore how much you can spend in the house, depending on how much down payment you're willing to have. So I guess my personal investing strategy over the past 25 years has been to maximize my leverage, right? So at any given time, whatever money I have is either in the stock market, it's mostly in the property market, and I'm borrowing as much as possible. And when some event happens where I can borrow more, like house prices have gone up or I get a more highly paid job, I will try and buy another property. And as a result, over time, sometimes, like from this, from last year, the year before, like my value has gone way down because house prices have gone down by 10% since the peak. But typically each year I'm getting that five to 7% year on year. And because I'm using leverage, because I'm borrowing as much as possible, you know, I'm getting 15, 20% returns year on year compounded over decades. And so that's what I'd encourage. I wouldn't encourage folks to time the market. I would say, get in there, borrow what you can, invest, make wise investments. Not in some random areas you don't understand, but places that you know and think are really going to be good over the next 10, 20 years. With that strategy, you can still go wrong. Some catastrophe might happen, but generally you'll be fine. That's what my, my investment advice would be. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. So John, can you share with us what your innermost superpower is that got you to this point in your life? <laughs> oh, wow. My innermost superpower. Take your time. Yeah. I haven't thought about that before. I think there's a few things that probably come together. I think for whatever reason, I'm a pretty good student. Like at school, I did fairly well at school without really having to try that hard. Again, I don't credit that hard work or things like that. I don't know whether that's genetics, nurture, luck, some combination of the above. But certainly, particularly younger in life, when you are good at studies, it does open up opportunities. For example, getting into a great college, getting into a great grad school, getting a good first job when Early in your life, they tend to weight those factors when awarded things. It matters a lot less in life as you get older, but certainly on in life. That's one thing. I think secondly, I generally care a lot for people. Um, mm, I, like I, I hate the idea of screwing someone else. I hate the idea of mm. not having a fair outcome, even if it means that I lose. And that sometimes means that I lose and that's okay. I think there is a niceness about me, which I've had, I don't know where that came from. Like my parents, my granny raised me. She was very nice. And I think that's quite endearing. And particularly as an Australian who spent a lot of time in America and Europe, Australians tend to be very popular because we're friendly and we're nice. A bit like Canadians, yeah, I guess. Like Canadians. It's probably another <laughs> thing. I think a third thing is if I think about what I've geeked out on, it happens to be things where there are a lot of demand. For example, I love technology. I love thinking about leadership. And I love things like this, meeting people, discourse, presentations, analysis. And those are things which are highly valued by, I, I used to work at Google for 13 years. I worked at Uber. I worked at McKinsey. These companies value that skill set. And if that's not you, then it's not a good place to be. But someone like me, like, I love those environments. And I guess the Very combination nice. of those superpowers is what enabled me to get the leadership experience and the degrees where I can lead a team of 600 people a day. And it's, it's a lot of fun and I get paid to do it. And I learn a lot doing it. That's excellent. Do you have any kind of recommendation or suggestion to a new investor who has never invested before and wants to get into this? What would your first initial go-to recommendation or suggestion or advice that you would give that kind of an investor, what they should do? I think, let me give you two pieces of advice because I think one is a doing or one is a yeah. learning. I think from a doing point of view, just do it. Just do it. Just do just, it. Just to just invest something. Awesome. Just do, don't just spend. I mean, you can analyze, but I would invest. I'd be in the market while you analyze. Even if that means you lose money, you're learning. So 
if that's, say you have $10 to invest, put it in the bank, I'd probably do better than that. Buy a stock, buy a share, try something. If you have 10,000, 20,000 to invest, maybe that's enough for a bigger investment, a share portfolio. If you have 100,000 to invest, you might be able to put a down payment on a property, depending on where you live and your aspiration. So as you do these things, you will learn. I'm a big believer that you learn by doing. It's much as yes. you learn how to swim. You don't read a book on swimming, right? You get in there, you start swimming, and you learn with the proper safeguards. At the same time, I do think learning is really important. And one of the things that's been a very positive aspect of my life is I'm not much of a runner, but I really enjoy podcasts, and I love listening to podcasts while running. That's a virtual awesome. cycle. And do you listen just... to our show? <laughs> Bits and pieces, Shahid. I'm not. I'm <laughs> Maybe from moving, moving forward, you will, right? Well, Maybe. You know, <laughs> when I hear it, like, oh, okay, this is interesting. Because I certainly don't think of myself as an entrepreneur, unlike some of the amazing people we've had on the show. Uh, I think for me, there's wonderful many books on investing. There's a guy called Charlie Munger, which is the first investor book I read. He's Warren Buffett's right-hand man. There's a book by him called The Wisdom and Wit of Charlie Munger. And it's just got all these different quotes from him. And I think of me, it got me really interested in investing and the kind of mistakes that people make, the psychological errors people make. And so look, there's a hundred books like that. There's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. There's all these yeah. different books you can read. Again, just read it. It'll inspire you to action and action will inspire us up to learning. So try and unlock yeah. that virtuous cycle. You look and invest. That's wonderful, John. Thank you so much for sharing that advice because many people, entrepreneurs, especially wanting to get into entrepreneurship, they fall into that fear paralysis, right? They just don't know. The decision-making is a big problem for many people and they just don't know what to do. And your advice is just have a little appetite for failure because entrepreneurship is not or any investing or business is not yeah, easy, yeah. right? Like you have to take the leap and you have to be comfortable with losing here and there because that's the only way you're going to reach somewhere. Look, I think entrepreneurship is much harder than investing. It takes a lot of guts and I've yeah. like a bit of an imposter come to the show because I have not been an entrepreneur. I've had the privilege to work in a lot of big and safe companies. But the quote that yeah. comes to mind that my old youth leader used to say was, you don't feel your way into an action. You act your way into a feeling. So if you mm. want to be a leader, entrepreneur, don't go, oh, I want to be confident. I want to be confident and therefore be a great entrepreneur. Just start doing stuff. And as you take risks and do things and invest and learn or start a business or hire people, then yeah. those actions will turn into that feeling, that, that confidence, that leadership yeah. that you desire. That's excellent, John. We call that be, do, have. So you be it within you just feel it, you know it within, not to play a part or anything, just within you feel it, you're being it, you're there already, you're doing, and then. Yeah, that's good. And you that's have. Good. Me, do, and have. Okay. Yeah. I'll think about that one. Thank you for No problem. Yeah, this is great. I know this show is entrepreneurship, but as there's a very large number of entrepreneurs that dabbled in investing in, in, in all sorts of multiple sources of income and real estate is one of the top three, right? Yeah. Yeah. Look, I think as a, when I went to grad school, we had about 10 to 15% of our class become entrepreneurs afterwards. I went there in Silicon Valley. So it's the hot thing. And I think as a lot of my really good friends are people who started their own businesses. Some have done really well. Some of them have not succeeded and gone somewhere else. I feel as an entrepreneur, there probably comes a decision where, okay, like I'm going to invest everything in what I'm doing, right? So my investment is in myself, my business, and my ability to create a company that will generate wealth. And I think that's real legitimate. Warren Buffett has a phrase of, hey, imagine you only have 20 chips in your whole life and there are 20 decisions you can make, right? And his idea is 
don't make lots of small decisions. Make some big decisions, some big investments, and back yourself. And it, for some entrepreneurs, that's the thing. I'm all out. I'm all in. Even if I lose everything, I'll be okay. Because then if I win, I gain everything. And yeah, the flip side is for some entrepreneurs who are like, hey, this may not work out. I'm not all in with it. Yeah. And I think in that case, the development of a passive income will be a wonderful cushion for you, right? In case things go wrong, the market turns away, yeah. you can't control it. And so I think getting good at investing will give you longevity and confidence in your entrepreneurship, that it is not yeah. all about making this company successful, that you've got the safety cushion. So I think it is a valuable corollary to mm. the entrepreneurs out there. Yeah, no, that's great. It's a great support, supportive income source. One of the, one of the best ones, because when you're investing, yeah. you never know with entrepreneurship, but we do take some big leaps and yeah. we, the decisions are, some are big, some are small, but really we're going towards time and money freedom. That's what we're really going towards yeah. and adding sources of income, such as real estate investment is quite promising. And it's great. I'm yeah. grateful to have you on the show, John, and you shared this information with our audience, I, like having you on the show is wonderful in many ways because it gives entrepreneurs some clarity on the current state, what's happening and what they can do in the future and some of the opportunities that may come up in certain areas. So I'm grateful that you shared all that. Um, and thank you again, John. Audience, yeah. thanks again. Great to have you part of this episode and we appreciate you guys helping us grow helping us share these episodes with friends and family. If you need to get in touch with John, his information will be in the show notes, get in touch with him or his site and yeah. yeah and start investing, start getting in there and look at things in a good way. We say everything has a bad and everything has a good, right? It's the law of polarity. I know there's a global recession. There's some bad things happening. But what are you looking for? And this yeah. may be that opportunity. If you're looking for good in things, you may find some incredible opportunities in the next few years. Keep at it. Keep going. Take action, like John said. And thank you so much. And thank you, John. Actually, Shahid, can I make one more yeah. comment, actually? I think you're sure. One last thing. Again, I speak as someone who is a cheerleader and not a doer on the entrepreneurship front. But everyone I know of great entrepreneurs, it is some of the fearlessness to take risks, which makes great entrepreneurs great. And I, th I would encourage grants to try to get a passive income through investing because what you don't want to place up in a situation where it's all or nothing, you know, unless you've got, if you have that safety net and if this bombs, then I'm okay. And so having that passive income stream or that, that fallback, I think is very powerful. It allows you to bring your best hundred percent. It's almost like playing a sport without fear of injury, if that were possible. And uh, my details are on the show notes. If we can be helpful for a real estate point of view, don't hesitate to reach out and excited to yeah. see how your audience goes. Thank you, Shahid, for having me. Thank you, John. Yeah, no problem. My life has been shifting dramatically since I got rid of fear. Fear is a crippling attribute. Yeah, it, uh, in entrepreneurship, fear doesn't match. So thank you again, John. And we'll see you soon in the future. If there's anything that you're, you wanted to share a message about, let us know. Get in touch. Thanks, and we'll no, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for the service you provide. It's a no, wonderful, wonderful results out there. Thank you. Thank you.